quack, 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 12 listeners. We got a huge one here for you. Now, anyone who's been listening to the show for the many, many years it's been on, since since all the way back in the Willie Taggart era, if you remember that, uh, we've had this annual kind of roster review. All right. Uh, and, and it got much, much better when we got our dear friend Hithliday from Addicted to Quack to come on here. Uh, someone who actually knows what he's talking about, who who does a very, very in-depth look of these Pac-12 teams, uh, of Oregon's opponents. So we really know what we're doing here. Um, well, first of all, Hithliday, how you doing, buddy? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing great great you know uh now have you already spring games have, have basically all been sprung i do believe all the all the pack 12 ones anyways uh, we still um, haven't seen cal or u-dub although u-dubs is probably going to be um even more pathetic than it usually is because i don't <laughs> have enough uh, healthy players but yes i have watched uh, all, all 10 of the spring games that have played uh including arizona's um which had water guns and and uh, the the lovely and talented Ashley Adamson getting uh, chased around by a water pistol. I wasn't a big fan of that. They do uh, really do it right in Arizona. I love. They understand what a spring game is for. I love that. I, I mean, you got to have fun with football in some way. Yeah, and also it's probably so people literally don't die. They need a little spritz mm. of cold water on their face. Um, so we're starting these 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 wonderful. Uh, excuses to talk to fellow Pac-12 minds, fellow Pac-12 podcasters. And we thought we'd start off, well, A, alphabetically with Arizona, but also with our first ever guest that we ever had on this show. Not not just our first, but I'll say it. He's our damn favorite. We love this guy. Uh, friend of the show, Brian Conger of 12 Pack Radio. How you doing, buddy? I'm great. I first, right out of the gun, how dare you? How <laughs> dare you associate me with the Willie Taggart era? Like, I, <laughs> yeah. I am offended in so many ways. But I don't you know, can jump I'm, on I'm that Doug, Doug Brenner lawsuit. Maybe that'll help everything out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. No, I'm, I'm glad to be back. It's, uh, it is a fascinating time because soon the season win totals are going to come out. And you know, at 12 Pack Radio, we cover uh, the Pac-12, the entire conference. And as always, like I always tune into your previews of other teams just to kind of get a feel for what's going on in addition to our research. So always glad to be back. And and I should mention, I went back and listened because we, you know, I think this is what, four or five years in a row where we've previewed Arizona uh, together. And I'm not going to lie, we nailed it. We just hit everything on the head last year, except for the win total. Like, what did we uh, say? I, so, all right. So I have it right here. So we said that it would be worrisome if Jordan McLeod was not named the starter because he hadn't picked up the playbook. Boom. True. Hitliday tried to goad me into saying anything nice whatsoever about our offensive line and I refused. Boom. Got that. <laughs> <laughs> we said we said the defensive line would be good and, or would be OK. And that mm -hmm. was fine. We said the safeties were going to suck. We nailed mm -hmm. that. And the only thing. Oh, and we also said that we were going to give up a ton of crazy plays on defense because of the YOLO uh, defense with no talent at all. Nailed it. Mm -hmm. And I think the only thing we missed Hithliday, because uh, at least I said that we were going to win three games. We only won one. Uh, I just underestimated how god-awful the quarterback play was going to be. We'll get into that. But like, holy I Moses. Mean, yeah, I, uh, I also went back and listened to that one and I was kind of 
uh, I wasn't that shocked. Usually we do pretty well. Um, the, yeah. the, this process like has its merits. The other one that I went back and listened to was the in season one before Oregon and Arizona played, which was, you know, uh, Arizona was coming off of losing all three of their non-con games, um, uh, including the FCS game. And, you know, we were talking about, you know, what the smartest thing to do would be, would be pull both Cruz and Plummer, put in Jordan McLeod, write a completely new playbook that no one's ever seen and surprise Oregon with it and that is exactly what happened <laughs> yeah. like yeah we didn't just nail it on one podcast Bryant. we nailed it on two of them yeah so well, if you're listening to this we know our stuff personally i don't listen to the quack 12 podcast but that's <laughs> that's great that y'all are doing that um so first of all i just want to once again twitter at 12 pack radio is where you should be following them and subscribe to that awesome awesome podcast it's always a good time really like it um so getting in to this Arizona team, I'm going to try to do a real quick one-minute recap. I mean, the quickest way, as we were saying before, maybe we should just go, let's review their wins. A 10-3 win versus Cal. There. Okay, we did it. Boom. Bing, bang, boom. Um, a one-win season, that's usually uh, usually coming off of that, you got to feel pretty bad. However, it's kind of the opposite because when you really look at the full picture here, Starting in 2019, that was a 4-8 season, but they lost their final seven games. Then in 2020, a whole lot of shit was going down in 2020. You just invited I, Bryant on to torture him, huh? Yeah. <laughs> just, no, this let's is, go as far back as we can. This is a struggle <laughs> session, yeah. <laughs> well, this is the beginning, you know. This is the beginning of the boxing movie when he sucks. It, it's getting up there, all right? Because in 2020, 0-5. Just... No wins there. Uh, a winless season. Hadn't seen that since mm, Huskies, I believe, in Pac-12. Uh, but 0-5. And, and then in 2021, we were even more afraid because it looked like that the Wildcats could actually take that record away from UW, which we desperately didn't want. But they won. It took them eight straight losses to get to that win. But they eventually got it. They stopped the losing streak to 20 straight losses which stretched from October 5th, 2019 to November 6th, 20, uh, 2021. Um, as Day said, uh, not a good non-con stretch. I mean, as you could have guessed. So we started against BYU in Sin City. Did not go as planned. 24 to 16, the Cougs win that one. Uh, Will Plummer, Gunner Cruz. Yeah, nothing worked out. Then versus San Diego State, the Aztecs racked up 454 yards. That's quite a bit for a defensive team. And then versus NAU, the second worst Pac-12 loss of the season. I, I'm so glad to say it was the second worst Pac-12 loss. Um, Lumberjacks won by stopping the two-point conversion. Jordan McLeod tried to get in there. It didn't work out. Ooh, that's a tough one to lose to so the Lumberjacks. But then, so coming off of that, they take on number three, Oregon, and entering the fourth quarter, 24-19, to 19, the Ducks led. Uh, they ended up winning 41-19, to 19, but still way closer than it could have been, uh, should have been, uh, versus UCLA, 329 Bruin rushing yards. Wow. DTR and Britton Brown really put it on you. Then at Colorado, a oh, no, zero but that was, it, there's an important detail that I want to note here, which mm -hmm. is that where they do the quarterback switch, they 
they're sticking with this like pro style gross offense in the first three games with Cruz and Plummer and they throw in Jordan McLeod at the very end. It gives them sort of a spark. They come out against Oregon with a totally new offense in Jordan McLeod. Uh, they, uh, I, one of the things I wrote up in my article was that not only did Jetfish write a new playbook for this, but he plays that they had never run before those plays he'd only use on third downs like it was the most like crafty coaching bullshit that i'd ever seen i was like <laughs> this guy's either a genius or he's a moron for not having done this to, from the get-go <laughs> but then so then they're like oh great they found their quarterback they're going to turn their season around they go to ucla they're they're kicking ucla well. butt right yeah. and then jordan mcleod's leg bends in like four different places where it shouldn't bend and then it's like oh and it's back to being Arizona. Like, yeah, it was devastating. I just, yeah, it really Which is how we get to the zero to 34 loss at Boulder. Uh, Buff scored on a blocked punt. Yeah. I uh, forgot the Alston score Hitter. of that game. Yeah. Yeah. And also an interception. <laughs> this score is a little more interesting. 16 to 21 loss versus Washington. I remember losing money on this game because I was so ready. It, it so looked like Washington was going to lose that game and then just. Just to, I mean, because basically Arizona was like, all we need to do is run the ball. Like Washington can't stop the run. We can't throw. They only defend the, the pass. Like, come on, this is an easy strategy. And just like one bad turnover and ugh. And they were outscored 21-3 in the second half. So they, they really had that advantage there. And then against USC, another one-score loss. Uh, hilariously close. Arizona outscored USC 20-6 to in uh, 22-6 in the second half. So it kind of rallied back. And then came the win against them. Golden Bears versus Cal. The game-winning drive spanned 55 yards, eight plays, and they took the lead with 217 remaining, and then uh, three straight losses. <laughs> Arizona and COVID. Like, yeah. They, yeah. They all, <laughs> yeah. The only time I welcomed the international pandemic, I'm like, all right, let's go. Let's do this. We got to get all the ropes. The thing that's hilarious about that game, and I honestly cannot remember which team it was in uh, favor of, but one of those two teams, their best offensive play was one of their offensive linemen getting punched in the balls after a play oh, yeah. was yeah. over. <laughs> like the defender was on the ground. He reached up, whacks him in the nuts, gets 15 yards. And I mean, I'm not kidding. It was either the number one or number two longest gain of the day for that offense. Well, that's why you draw that play up, you know, um, <laughs> versus Utah. I mean, I, again, Arizona, like led for part of the first half. I don't know if that's actually something you should brag about, but Arizona no, was doing well against you. More competitive. Really it was they, two they, point they game. Oregon late. fans hope because that was the game. Yeah, that was the week before Utah played Oregon. It was like Utah looked terrible against Arizona. You know. Mm-hmm. Then uh, at Wazoo, uh, career high 139 yards, two touchdowns for Max Borhe in his final home game, and then at ASU. Just an absolute beatdown. The the 87-yard pick six from Jack Jones really highlighted it. But it was a 38-15 to 15 loss in the Territorial Cup. Uh, however, the Wildcats... ASU team that had kind of, like, packed it in, too. I was kind of yeah. surprised yeah. by that. I thought yeah, that, that game was going to be more competitive. Um, yeah, Arizona, Arizona was really confusing. Like, which games they were really competitive in and which games... You know, they'd be getting blown out it was at the end of the year. It was just like, what's going on here? Like, like the Utah and ASU games, if you flipped the scores around, I'd be like, yeah, that one makes more sense. But yeah. 
And P.S. Uh, uh, I mean, they went one and four in one score games uh, signed. Uh, but the reason why we got hope here, they signed a top 25 class, uh, including some like uh, they got Jaden Delora, which I think is fun as hell. I don't know. No, um, I, was, I was excited about that. Like Jet Fish is the king of the offseason. I mean, like he's again, we're, we're squirting, you know, water guns at co-eds. We got Rob Gronkowski. <laughs> we're dropping footballs from helicopters. It's the, be- <laughs> it's the best thing you like. Like the Arizona offseason is the regular season for every other Pac-12 team. We're like, this is great. This is the best. And then once the season starts, we can just, you know, all dis- disperse. No, like top 10, 20, uh, top 25 recruiting class uh, picked off some players from Oregon, from USC, uh, really hit the transfer portal, hit the day. I know we're going to get into the, the depth chart here, but th- there is some reason for optimism for this team. And I, I would add, like, you're absolutely right. All the, the scores of these games were so bizarre. Uh, just given the opponents that they had, but this team played hard every game and they might've sucked while they were playing hard. But, you know, usually when, when a team goes one in 10, you just rip the heart out and like, you know, and you're just walking away the whole time, this entire season, you could tell that they were building for something. Now that something might be a three loss, you know, or three win season this year. But I do think that they're like for a one in 10 season, it was the most encouraging one in 10 season I have ever experienced. And I think I've, I've experienced about three of them as an Arizona fan. So. <laughs> Brian, you, you took the words out of my mouth. I was literally going to make the same most encouraging one in 10 season I've ever seen uh, comment. Uh, and uh, 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 again, like I totally, I don't think you're blowing smoke at all. I know that every fan in the universe is like, yeah, they were losing, but they were playing so hard. I a hundred percent co-sign uh, that about Arizona. Like I didn't see any quit in that team at all. Like I watch all these games pretty closely. Like, you know, you can pick up some of the more subtle stuff and like, uh, you you can you can see it when guys are giving up on plays you can you know when you're when you're handing out grades to all 22 players on a play like you can detect that guy who's like not really going hard or you can see when a guy is missing an assignment and like i wasn't seeing that out of arizona at all i thought it was a pretty well coached team they just didn't have any talent um you can also yeah. tell when a coach has kind of given up in a pac-12 championship game mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 oh, no. <laughs> no i totally agree with you i i think that you know it's fairly um you know as crazy it is to say about a team that had you know one win and that win came with an asterisk like yeah i actually thought that was a pretty encouraging and then uh you know looking at the roster it's a lot of uh turnover but like you know the number one thing that i was seeing was just like there this is a big fat talent uh vacuum you know like it, it is you know like you know, the, 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 the cumulative roster talent that Arizona was, has been fielding for the last five years, it would be more in line with like a mountain West type of team. Like it didn't seem like a PAC 12 team. And like, you know, we're going to get into the nitty gritty, but just as an overview of looking at the return, you know, what they've lost um, through departures in the transfer portal. And it's been a lot and what they've brought in, in terms of, you know, portal guys and, and freshmen who appear ready to play based on the spring game, like this, I don't think there's been a bigger talent upgrade in the pack, not this year, maybe not for several years. Like it's, you know, it, it's going to be hard to say where exactly they fall in the pack 12, you know, in terms of uh, talent, uh, because like I said, there's a ton of new faces uh, and, you know, we've, we've yet to see how exactly they play out, but on paper, at least this is like a comfortable pack 12 team again. And like, I haven't been able to say that since 2012, maybe like it's been a while. Um, and I got to think that's pretty encouraging. 
Yeah, it's been a hot minute. I, I also think one of the things that was interesting was that, like a good example, you mentioned that BYU game. I was there at the game and I was like, you know, I was in like the second, the second inner bowl or whatever. So you could really see the all 22. And I had four beers and I was like, that guy's open, that guy's open. That, <laughs> and and, and Gunnar Cruz is just throwing the ball into the face of like the, you know, the on, like, on the sidelines. And he's just over. It was just such a bummer because we'll get into the coaching because I think there, there are some flaws on both sides from the offense and the defense from a coaching perspective, but you could see the ball moving when you had somebody that could actually move the football forward. And that's encouraging because I think, I think there's going to be the biggest upgrade that Arizona will have will be at the quarterback position. Jaden Delora, little bit of a head case in terms of like how he performs game to game, but I will take that every day over like basically everything else that we had last year. So that's pretty exciting. Heart of a uh, damn champion, too. Let's get that right off the bat. Oh, there. for real. Let's I go. It. Yeah. It, it is interesting to well, okay. First of all, uh uh the let's talk about the coaches. There's yeah. no offensive coaching changes, right? I, I'm seeing the exact same staff on the offensive side of the ball as it was last year, right? That's that's what I have also. Mm-hmm. Um I, I believe Jed Fish, even though Brandon Carroll, the offensive line coach, is listed as the offensive coordinator, I believe this is Jed Fish's offense right? Correct. Yeah. That's, that's the title only. Yeah. Um, I, I sort of said this already, but uh, you know, I was, I'm sort of a split mind about Jed fish because like, I think what he was doing with Jordan McLeod against Oregon and UCLA was like, yes, brilliant. That's exactly what you ought to do. Um, I, but at the same time, I was like, why did it take you this long to figure out that Gunnar Cruz can't throw the ball? Like, you know, aren't you supposed to know that you know, stuff from watching him all off season long? Like, I don't know what what overall is your assessment of the offensive coaching staff? Oh, I, I totally agree. It was bizarre because that was a trend throughout the conference. You know, the 12 pack rating, we covered like the entire conference, just like you guys do. And, you know, you saw that with Stanford, Oregon State picked the wrong quarterback. Utah picked Utah the wrong quarterback. Did. Arizona picked the wrong quarterback. So I absolutely agree with you. Gunnar Cruz was a disaster. And um, and I, I know why he picked him, right? It's, it, it seemed like McLeod hadn't picked up the the play calling, you know, hadn't picked up the calls yet. Um, Plummer, we saw from the previous year, was not a good quarterback. And here mm-hmm. you got Cruz that has the arm. And, well, yep. let's hope it works out. But I, I absolutely agree with you. And the fact that I was calling for Will Plummer to be the quarterback, like, made my head explode. Yeah. Um, but so so two things on the offensive plays. The first is – it was clear that fish could get the ball down the fields between the twenties, right. From like the 20 yard line to the opponent's 20 yard line. He was a disaster at the red zone. Arizona is one of the worst teams in the country in terms of scoring in the red zone last year. And you could just see that he got way too cute in some of the plays that he was calling. So that's an area that really needs to be improved this coming year. If Arizona, like, like you mentioned, Adam, we had, we went one of four and one score games. If we want to get across the finish line and really compete, we're going to need to really sharpen up the red zone offense. I, I, I agree with everything that you said. I think it goes, I think it goes deeper than, um, than quarterbacks and cuteness uh, in the red zone. I, I think the two other issues are, Number one, like the playbook design, like what we were seeing out of Arizona's offense in the first several games was uh, to, to put a simplistic label on it was sort of a pro style offense. You saw a lot of under center. You saw a lot of tight in formations. Uh, you, you know, you, you, you saw, you know, basically Jed fish has a you know, pretty extensive NFL background. I was seeing, you know, 
uh, stuff that sort of assumed that he had NFL talent. And it was like the last team in the Pac-12 has NFL talent is, you know, and, 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 and is Arizona. And if Jordan McLeod wasn't picking up that playbook, it's sort of like, dude, you know, it seemed yeah. obvious to me, I have the benefit of hindsight, but it seemed obvious to me that, it, you know, what he switched to was sort of an offense that looked a lot more similar to what just about every other Pac-12 team run, sort of a spread wide open, you know, running quarterback, you know, type of stuff um, that it's like, you know, that's what Jordan McLeod was doing at South Florida. It's just like, you know, it, it sort of seemed like he was trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. And, you know, the revelation by week four was like, oh, maybe I should, maybe I should get a round peg, you know, yeah, <laughs> it's like, yeah. okay. Um, and then the other thing that you will, we'll get to this uh, later on, but like, I really think the real problem was the offensive line was reliable at all. Oh, yeah. And like, that's yeah. always what, you know, it's like, I don't know what play calling, if you don't have a reliable offensive line in the red zone, your play calling ability is so neutered. Um, you know, I don't know what coach is successful in the red zone without an effective uh, offensive line. Like, you know, if you cannot credibly threaten at least the defense that you're going to line up and pound it four times, like you, your options for what you're calling in the passing game are so limited that like, yeah, of course, you know, I, it, you know, I, I understand like, let's blame, you know, Jed fish. Cause I think I've laid out a couple of reasons why there, he made some questionable choices, but like, I, I, that one, I think comes down to like a problem that he inherited and will probably be years to fix, which is, you oh, know, yeah. offensive lines, you like, we're going to talk in a second about all the skill talent that he brought in, which I actually think really looks really, really good, but I'm still sort of um, pessimistic about Arizona getting to a bowl game anytime in the near future, simply because if you're in an offensive line hole, it takes you five years to get out of it because it has to be developed organically. Like nobody transfer portals their way into a good offensive line. Um, and, and that's, you know, ultimately, I guess we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit here, but that's sort of my outlook for Arizona is like, I am really encouraged by the skill positions. I think they have options at quarterback. Um, I think Jed Fish has probably learned his lesson about, you know, playing college football uh, in the Pac-12, but this offensive line just still gives me hives. Uh, what do you think about that take? Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. And we were talking about all the flaws. There were so many of them that we didn't mention <laughs> the, glaring, the glaring hole that was the offensive line. No, it was a disaster last year. And and there are there are some interesting pieces that are coming in, but the depth is so bad. Hmm. If if one person goes down, I mean, it is we are putting in players that we know suck. And look, like I suck at a lot of things. <laughs> I just <laughs> college football. So, you know, like, you know, I'm not trying to put this on specific players but that's just the reality of Arizona football and they're really going to have to light 17 candles to make sure that um, each and every one of our offensive line uh, linemen play and, and stay healthy the entire game well let's get back to um let's save the offensive line for last we yeah, typically yeah. do um and let's get back to the quarterbacks um yeah i think it's an interesting situation um uh, it sort of sounded from your comments like you think that Jaden Delora has got the job i don't think so um i i sort of see this you know coming out of the spring game as an honest well, either a three or a five man race, like, you know, maybe you want to scratch Will Plummer and Gunnar Cruz off of that list um, because we've sort of seen what they can and can't do. But it is worth mentioning both of those guys return. Um, Jordan McLeod also returns. I think he looked better um, in, in the spring game than uh, Delora did. Um, I, I, I really liked what he was doing um, during the year, although that's a pretty small sample size. We only got to see him in like a 
game and a half or so um, before that, you know, really awful UCLA injury. Um, Jaden Laura, I, you know, I think your description of him is sort of, you know, uh, uh, I think I described him in one of my articles as the most dangerous quarterback in the Pac-12 because he's, I think that's because teams <laughs> underestimate him. It's like, because one game he'll just look like crap and you're just like, oh, this guy isn't a serious quarterback. And then the next game he'll just destroy some team that he has no right doing that too he's like the nunchucks of quarterbacks like he can do a lot of damage <laughs> and then you can hit yourself in the face sometimes and then noah fafita came in um who's a you know a high three star uh i you know i, I don't know if he's going to start right away as a true freshman um but he didn't look terrible in the spring game i i uh, to quote a line from the league, I'm a bit of a, a height supremacist. He's five nine. I sort of have a problem with short quarterbacks, but <laughs> um, so maybe it's actually really a, a two man race between McLeod and Delora. But like, I expect that race to continue through the fall, and I would not be surprised in the slightest if McLeod winds up pulling this out. What do you think about that whole rundown? Um, I disagree. I think, and, and I and I watched McLeod and. And the reason I disagree, because I, I have the same assumption that you have, and it's possible that this over time becomes a, a real competition, but from everything I've read, like Delora is the guy and he, like he is sitting in the number one spot and it's going to have to be wrenched from him, regardless of the spring game by McLeod. And, and to your point though, Hithliday, that could happen because I agree. He moved that, he moved the offense. Uh, he threw five picks against Oregon, uh, but, you know, it was like his first actual like game against any team that was interesting, uh, um, at least for Arizona. But when you watched him at the UCLA game, he also moved that offense rather effectively before like his leg shattered into 17 bits. I still think just based on the reports, I think Michael Lev is excellent and a really good beat writer. Everything he's reported is saying that Delora is the guy. Um, you also had Jason Shear at Wildcat Authority, who, you know, I think their football takes are not great, but he also is saying the same thing. And they both have access to this coaching staff. Are, are you relaying that you think that Delora has won or is the assumed starter on merit or on politics? I I think to I think it's probably politics and we will see if it's also on merit. Mm. Um, you know, because like, I th like the, the coaches saw what he was able to do at Washington state. This is a quarterback that can clearly lead a PAC 12 team. It's just whether or not he can hold off McLeod, but I think he's sitting in the driver's seat. I would put it that way. I mean, I'm not going to guarantee that he's there, but right now that he is the, the number one guy to your point that, or like one, one thing to push back on too, is I think Plummer and Cruz, like I've heard that Fafita is like the number three right now. Oh, I would and, assume he was the number three too. I mean, I watched yeah. Plummer and Cruz play like, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, hell Braden's or Menno, the walk-on might be number four. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, we were joking. A lot of people are saying, well, oh, Arizona should embrace the triple option because they suck and they'll always suck. So they might as well do something interesting. A, I would argue that the triple option isn't anything interesting. And B, I would argue if we're going to lean into something, we should lean into like sub five, eight quarterbacks that are just yeah. awesome, but they're way too small. That'd be way more fun than the triple yeah. option. <laughs> the triple option as in we have three quarterbacks <laughs> yeah, they're, they're all play. five six <laughs> <laughs> um do you I, I characterized it a second ago as I think this is a two, you know, it looks like five, but really it's probably a two man race between Delora and McLeod. Do you think that's accurate? Yeah. Yes, okay. I do. Well, I guess we'll just have to keep our eye on it. Um, I, I think both McLeod and Delora are capable, mobile quarterbacks. I think, you know, neither one of them is probably winning the Heisman anytime soon, but whoever wins that job, I don't think will 
doom Arizona the way that it was obvious that the plumber crews pro style offense was dooming Arizona. Do you agree with that assessment? Yeah, I think the quarterback play cost Arizona at least two games, possibly three or four, like mm-hmm. last year. I mean, it was that bad. Um, and, and like there were, again, there were other problems and we'll get to those as yeah. we go down the roster, but yeah, that, that's how important and how bad that the, the quarterback play. I mean, if you look at our stats, I think we like in total, I have to go back and look. I just want to, I want to confirm this because I think it's fascinating because the stat is so ridiculous. Uh, as a team, they threw 12 touchdowns and 18 picks. Mm. I mean, like all the quarterbacks like that were that were playing. Yeah. And we saw, and that includes Jamari Joyner like popping in and in garbage time. Like it was just a really there was a point game. where I was openly calling for Jamari Joyner to be the starting quarterback. Oh, yeah, me too. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> anyway. All right. Let's uh let's switch over, talk about the running backs. Um I'll say number one, there's lots of running backs in this room. Um yeah. there's uh I believe there's five scholarship guys returning. Um, Wiley Anderson, Jalen John, Stevie Rocker, and Bowles. I think four of those guys um got 30 plus carries. Um and, and three of them got were getting like 60 plus carries. They were, you know, essentially operating a four man rotation at running back, and all four of those guys come back. Um, they've they're also uh, adding two freshmen uh, to the room, one of whom was present in the spring game. We saw a little bit uh, Jonah Coleman, who's a high three star uh, who looked fine. Um, and then Rayshon Luke is a four star. Uh, he, he's coming in for the fall. So, uh, you know, I'd add that up to, uh, you know, seven scholarship players, plus I think two walk ons in the running back room. Uh, that's a lot of running backs, isn't it? Yeah, we're going to need them, though. I mean, if you look at the production last year, and again, this is all throughout the lens of a bad offensive line. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Wiley was fine. Uh, the Northwestern transfer, Drake Anderson, was fine. But they they didn't blow me away at, at any point in the season where I was like, oh, that could be our full-time running back that could really you know, push the ball forward. So I see why they recruited so heavily at that spot because we need we need somebody to step up. It sounds like Jonah Coleman is even as a true freshman is somebody that's going to be pushing at least for the start, like a starting three spot. Um, and if not like the second spot. So that's interesting to me because uh, I, I, that makes sense to me just based on the production and just what the, what the other players brought to the table last year. Well, I guess I was surprised that Stevie Rocker wasn't getting more carries like he's sort of, you know, of the four headed monster of Arizona's running back room. All again, all of them were coming back. He was the guy who a had the fewest carries at 31, like half as as many as the as the number three guy. Um, and but B had the best yards per carry average. Now, you know, I agree with you. I tend to think that that running the running game is mostly a product of the offensive line. But I mean, just watching the tape, like he clearly looked faster and more dynamic than the other running backs in the room. I guess, you know, do, do you agree with that assessment? What do you think the reason was why he got uh, fewer carries than everybody else? You know, I don't know. It could be blocking. Uh, I frankly, like he was so like there wasn't any time where I watched an Arizona game where he popped out as like, mm-hmm. Oh, that guy's good. Um, and sometimes you see that, right. You watch a game and like, you know, a guy gets limited carries and you go, Oh, actually like good example is Oregon has that really young, young kid. That's super fast. And I'm like that guy, I, I think he played in maybe, seven like, McGee. Is that it possible? Uh, I Sean think, dollars. I was, he got hurt. Sean dollars. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, that guy's good. Um, it, it, rocker did not jump out to me as that type of player. Hmm. Um, so I don't, I don't know, like I, it could be blocking. It could just be, you know, he knew what he had in the other guys and whatever. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know why he didn't get more carries, but um, yeah, I, I think it's, 
I think it'll be real telling to see who gets the first and second spot. If it's the freshman, um, that might show you how highly the, the staff thinks of what they had, what had been recruited and what they had brought in earlier. Um, I, I don't frankly expect a lot from the running game this year. I think it's going to be whatever it's, it'll probably be better than last year, but I mean, last year was not good. I think, I don't think anybody had more than what, like 450 yards or something like that. It, it was, it was pretty rough. Yeah. But I mean, uh, you're right about that. Like it's, uh, you know, 300, 385, 250, 153, like, but add it up. It's, a, you know, close to a thousand yard season. If it was just one pack, you know, like yeah. that, that's sort of, what my, you know, my point is that like, uh, first of all, I agree with you. It's interesting that the freshmen coming in are the highest rated guys in the room. Combine that with the fact that there's seven scholarship dudes and, and uh, a returning four-man rotation of which the guy who had the highest average had the fewest carries. All three of those things add up to me like there's going to be a shakeup. Like I would not be surprised. I don't know how rational Jed Fish is. Like I, uh, you know, like we were starting out with, like I, I sometimes question how rational he's making his decisions. But if he were making a, a real rational decision, I think I would co consolidate this down to like one of the freshmen rocker and then one of the returners you know maybe wiley um and then put the rest of the guys in the bench and just go with a three-man rotation you know and then whoever's got the hot hand that game you know just ride them um and i wouldn't you know there's already been one guy who transferred out bam smith i was kind of liked him although maybe it's just the name um i wouldn't be surprised if there's a, another transfer to out but by you know come fall uh what do you think about that assessment yeah yeah i, I absolutely agree i i just like the 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 point that I would make is even if you make those changes, unless the freshmen are really, really freaking good, I just don't anticipate a lot of production coming out of here that's going to advance that that much far. Where you're going to be like, oh wow, Arizona really, really improved at the running game this year. I mean, may, may, and like they will naturally because I think the offense is going to be better. So I'm not saying that they're not going to put up more yards. It's more just I think like the yards per play or the at like, you know, the average rushing yard is going to stay about the same. And I mean, it, and, but they have recruited really well at the running back position. So I do think over time, like this will be a strength of the offense. I just don't think it's going to be the strength this year. Well, I mean, if you're looking, if the way that you perform your analysis is where is the most room for improvement, the the most room for improvement is not in the running game. It's, yeah. you know, quarterbacks completing passes and not throwing the ball into the dirt. So in that sense, like, yeah, I, I guess I wouldn't expect as dramatic of an improvement. I just think there's a more, uh, I, I think there there is some improvement to be realized by just sort of consolidating and playing more talented backs. Um, and I guess we'll see if that happens. Well, I, uh, I guess real fast, I'd put it this way. Like you had JJ Taylor and like, and Hitler, you were on top of this. You're like, wow, this guy at like the yards after like contact is actually yeah. quite good. He's covering up for a lot of things, right? We yes. don't have a JJ Taylor. The, the next year um, it was uh, Gary Brightwell. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, Gary Brightwell's fine. But like, he's, he's going to be pretty good. He's not going to be awesome, but he's going to be pretty good. And he ended up being pretty good. If I look at the running backs as this running back, you know, core is, currently constructed i don't see either of those types of players yet that's, that's i guess that's the point i'm making you know we'll we'll see you know like i said i, I think the offensive line is still going to be a problem uh, you're right I, I have been flagging that for arizona for you know for a while now where it's like they're not running through the hole that this play was designed for him to run through you know the running back is inventing you know extra stuff and, and taylor and barry hill were definitely doing that um i think that you will need to see that again 
and I guess we'll find out if, if, you know, these guys are good enough to do it. I sort of thought I was seeing some of that out of Stevie Rocker, which is why I was saying I was high ah. on him. Um, but, you know, we'll find out. Um, I, I guess I, I would not be wild if they took a four man rotation, added two freshmen to it and said, well, we've got a six man rotation now. <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like, that seems like an opportunity cost missed. Um, Anyway, uh, let's talk about the tight ends. Um, this has uh, been interesting, sort of end of an era with Bryce Wolma finally running out of eligibility. Um, also losing the, uh, the the fullback, Clay Markoff, a couple other guys who I don't think got um, a whole lot of time you know, transferred out, Zach Williams and, and Colby Powers and Stacey Marshall. Um, returning Alex Lines, uh, who was the tight end that, who, who transferred in from UNLV, he, um, he got the most receiving yards uh, last year um, as a freshman, I believe, or a second year uh, freshman. I think he came in in 2025. Um, Isaiah Johnson uh, is converting from the defensive line to tight end. Uh, there's like three Isaiah Johnsons on this team or between this team and the Arizona State, so I have to like keep them straight. Um, also returning uh, Roberto Miranda and Tanner McLaughlin, who I think was a, a an unrated FCS transfer, but was getting you know a surprising number of reps in, in spring practices. And then we haven't even gotten to the freshman yet. Um, uh, Tyler Powell uh, uh, hasn't got on campus yet, but uh, Kian Burnett, the uh, the four star, was available for the spring game and looked pretty good to me. Uh, I think there's a pretty decent looking uh, uh, tight end room. I, I think they've got between two and three, you know, pretty playable tight ends. Um, you know, despite all these departures, I think they came through it with, uh, you know, a decent looking room that can catch the ball. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think what you're going to see is lines doing more of the blocking role and Burnett doing more of the go out and catch the ball. Mm -hmm. uh, as I understand it, Burnett was more of a just giant, giant wide receiver in high school. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, he has the body and he has the ability to go out um, really highly touted uh, tight end. He was over at USC or he, he had a USC offer, decided to come to Arizona. Really big deal for Air. The one thing, the one thing that keeps me, uh, gives me a little bit of pause is they Lucy and the football me yet again last year where we like, right. I, I got it. When, um, if you are a tight end and all Mazzoni becomes your offensive line, well, you know, or your offensive coordinator, get the hell out of that program. Like immediately, mm -hmm. like just drop everything and run. And <laughs> <laughs> because like, you know, they kept saying, Oh, we're going to integrate the tight end. I'm like, yeah, wake me when you actually catch for more than five yards, and which was the case for the entire Richard era. Uh, except for that one year where Wilma actually caught a lot of uh, passes here. We have a new system that integrated the tight end. It was supposed to be a pro system. And I think the tight ends caught like a collective hundred yards. I mean, it's a little more than that, but it, it, it wasn't. Well, yeah, but it was in my opinion, that's not because lines is not a good, uh, um, tight end. I mean, I think he's fine, but I, I, I put that more on the quarterback, um, you know, than, than the, than the pass catcher. And then I think, you know, Burmette from what we saw, you know, in the spring game, looks like he's pretty viable to play as a freshman. And, and I just as a little preview, the reason why I wanted to start out with the tight ends, we're going to get to the wide receiver room, which I think is a little small in, in terms of like number of bodies in the wide receiver room. Um, but I think that's sort of made up for by the fact that I think they'll have a couple of viable tight end, you know, pass catching options. And I don't think that the tight ends themselves were the problem with the offense that wanted to use tight ends, if that makes sense. Yeah, and, and they also need to protect the quarterback, right? So it's right. nice to have another blocker out there. Yeah, yeah. I what yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think that they are gonna throw more to the tight ends. I think that they're you're actually gonna see that more integrated in the offense. I guess what I'm what I'm saying is 
I have been told that so many different times yeah. and they don't actually yeah. do it. So this year, like, you know, this is the year guys when we win the championship and you're like a Cubs fan for a hundred years, you know, I just don't want to be that person. But yeah, I actually do think that they're going to make it. it just that sentence coming out of my mouth. Like, yeah, I want to punch myself in the face every time I say it when I go like, Oh, actually they're going to pass to the tight end this year. But I, I so I'm going to say it again. I do think they're actually going to pass the tight end this year because they have the talent. And I do think it's part of the offensive system that fish wants to run. Someone hurt you and you're afraid to open up is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, we'll see if they can block that. You know, that's sort of the other thing is that like, yeah. I, I do think that Wilma was misused for almost basically his entire career, but yep. like I do assign blocking grades and I just don't think he was a very strong blocker. Like I, um, and you know, we'll, we're just going to have to see, you know, I expect to see Keon Burnett, um, on the field. Um, uh, you know, the, the, the defensive challenge that was presented to him in the spring game was not super substantial. Um, so I, that's one of my sort of unresolved questions is like, are they going to get decent blocking help out of the tight ends or not? Because I can definitely see that affecting how the offense goes. I don't just mean like production. I mean, like structurally, like what kind of offense do they want to run um because if they can it opens up you know some interesting options um but if they can't and the offensive line is as bad as i think it's going to be like uh could be trouble yep oh yeah let's talk about the wide receivers um at first glance, this sort of looks like, oh, my God, uh, because there's so many departures, right? Like uh, Stanley Berryhill, Brian Castile, Tavian Cunningham, Booby Curry, um, Jalen Johnson this morning got into the portal. I'm recording this on the 27th. Um, uh, a couple other guys who I don't think had any production, Jaden Mitchell and Dylan Miller, uh, have also left. Uh, Thomas Reed, who I don't think had any production in the last two years, but like lit it up in 2019 as a walk-on, um, is also out. It's just like, that's eight dudes, you know, out the door. Like, And, uh, you know, I, I think only five returners and two of them have asterisks because, you know, Majon Wright, I'm not sure who was actually on the team <laughs> last year. <laughs> um, so, you know, at first glance, I'm like, uh-oh. Um, on the other hand, I, I look at what they're returning. Dorian Singer, who uh, was a pretty good receiver for them last year, and I think played you know decently in the spring game. Jamari Joyner, who I honestly think might have been the most talented human being on the team um, the last two years. Uh, uh, Anthony Simpson, I don't know much about, but they brought in um, the portal. We'll see how Majon Wright produces. Like that guy's been the portal hokey pokey. I'm not really sure what the story is with that guy, but he swears to God he's on the team now. Right? Actually, let me stop. What is the story with Majon Wright? Like, is he on the team? Uh, my understanding is yes. And I understand why it was confusing because he wasn't part of the team. And then he was like, my understanding was he left and fish is like, Hey, um, we might actually be good at some point. <laughs> and he came back. <laughs> so I think that's actually, that's probably the story. Um, and so, yeah, he left and then was convinced to come back to Arizona, had to sit out the year. My understanding is that he's part of this wide receiving core and he will produce. And he's actually somebody that the team, e even when Kevin Sumlin was here, they were kind of excited about having him on the roster. So I do think he'll be productive. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's okay. my feel on him. And then um, there's four new guys in the room. Uh, if we don't count Mage on right as a new guy, um, there's Jacob Cowing, who on paper is the least talented, but he was playing at UTEP the last couple of years. Um, and, you know, I think he had like a thousand yard season last year. Um, should actually be pretty interesting to watch. Um, the coup of the class, Tedaroa McMillan, uh, you know, the high four star that swiped out from, from Oregon. Um, Kevin Green uh, has been uh, looking pretty good, I think, in practice reports and AJ mm -hmm. Jones. 
uh, as well as a is a you know mid three star. Um, maybe more importantly than anything else, AJ Jones is six three. Um, and the thing about all the dudes who were leaving uh, through the portal or, or otherwise was that it was the Oompa Loompa Brigade. You know, I know yep. Bryant. You know, I'd been talking about this for a long time. How like. Uh, if you walked into the Arizona wide receiver room, you tower over most of these guys. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, that's, you know, I, 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 I look at a number of stats, you know, including their, their ratings and how their performances and so forth. But I am also looking at their height and it's like, yeah, bring in six, four Tedero McMillan and six, three AJ Jones and six, two Majon Wright. And, uh, and, and keep the two tall dudes, you know, who are on the team last year, Doreen Singer and Jamari Joyner, who could actually catch balls. And it's, like there's you know we talked a second ago about like the biggest talent you know transformation in the pac 12 you know might be arizona this year the there's also a really big height transformation just in yeah. this unit like the average height between the short dudes who are leaving and the tall dudes who are coming in i think the average height of this wide receiver room went up by like four inches yeah yeah and that's not an exaggeration that's like li- that would legitimately be the the listed height that you would see the change in the the one thing that i so i agree with you the one thing i would mention because i can't get away from the small wide receivers it's just ingrained in my body and dna since rich rodriguez was the coach mm-hmm. um jacob cowing is is good like he is he is legitimately good and that's not just from the reporting that i got from arizona just from spring and again like Arizona is a really good beat reporter. Michael Lev knows football and he, he is plugged into the team and he, he does not over promise. Like he is, he is a beaten down fan, just like I am. Um, if you take a look at the cover three podcast, uh, uh, Bud Elliott was interviewing um, somebody about the Arizona and like, he, he also was like, Oh yeah. Cowing was legit at UTEP. So I think we've talked about this a lot. Hithel day where we, we, Arizona had brought in all these taller, tallish guys, you know, under someone, they were finally starting to beef up the, the height for the wide receivers. And, but none of those players saw the field. It was still yeah, like it was crazy. Yeah. Five, nine Juco transfers walk on Stanley Barry, Barry Hill, who's, who's very talented and got a scholarship and, and should have gotten a scholarship. But like, that was an alarm, right? If you don't see these players get the fields within one or two years, then then what's going on? Well, what was going on was those those players really didn't live up to the hype of their recruiting rankings. That is, I think, different from what we see now, where from everything I've read, McMillan is the truth. Um, Singer was productive last year and he returns. You have a you have an upgrade in height, you have an upgrade in talent, and that doesn't mention Jamari Joyner, who I agree with you is probably the most talented player in the team last year. Um, you have right that's I mean, this is a trans plus plus you have the tight ends that can actually catch balls. Like this is a transformed unit that should be productive, by the way, with a quarterback that that likely can throw them the ball. Which yeah, was not the I mean, knock on wood, but like, yeah. yeah, that's why, you know, okay, we've now gone through this entire offense up to the offensive line. I, I said this earlier, but I yeah. mean, this is why I was saying it is sort of like, look, uh, they will probably have a decent, you know, they've got five options. Somebody in the quarterback room should be able to throw the ball. Um, yeah. They've got seven options at running back. Somebody should be able to carry the ball. They've, I think, got some good tight end options. I think they've got, you know, a, a big upgrade in their uh, wide receiver room, you know, a, a net upgrade. And even if they wanted to play, you know, the short, uh, uh, less talented dudes, they're not in the room anymore. They can't. Uh, they, they, they literally can't mess this one up. It's like everything about this team looks uh, uh, until you get to the offensive line and, yeah. and maybe offensive line is of a piece as well, looks like a Pac-12 team that like 
you know, bowl eligibility, you, you know, is definitely, you know, in the cards. Um, and frankly, you know, most offensive lines in the Pac-12 are pretty bad too. So maybe they're not really not that far off. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but I mean, do you, you know, I guess I've asked you this before, but I think it's worth reiterating, like for anybody who's thinking that, you know, oh, this Arizona team that was 1-11 last year and is like won four games in the last 20 years or whatever it is, uh, you know, thinks that this, you know, this offense, you know, has no talent. Like, I don't think that's true at all. I think the skill talent collection for Arizona is pretty promising and pretty you know threatening if you know that you know th th it's not to say that there's not some questions still to be answered like the, the quarterback needs not to be a goober you know the the offensive scheme needs to not be you know foolishness uh the way that jedfish sort of showed some of um and you know it'd be sort of nice if the the offensive line you know wasn't falling down constantly all the time um but like i, I don't you know, I don't see one and 11 again this year. I think this, the, the skill talent is just too good for that to happen. Um, that's my conclusion. What do you think? Yeah, no, I agree. This is a team that should beat the teams that they're supposed to this year. Like, right. Arizona should have beat Colorado. Mm -hmm. They should have, I mean, like they should have beat Cal when Cal had COVID. <laughs> they should have yeah, beat the NAU. Yeah, yeah. It should have probably, probably, probably <laughs> should have beat NAU. <laughs> um, so that's, that's three wins. And then I think this team, you're going to have a lot of teams that look at air like it's going to be, oh, we have to play Oregon and then we have to play, you know, USC, even though USC isn't going to be like going to be the USC that we expect in a couple of years. And then Arizona is going to be wedged in between them at home on like a Friday night and they're going to win one of those games like yeah. it's just, that's going to happen. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, how Oregon's got the desert. Oregon's <laughs> got to play Arizona and Tucson this year. This has all yeah. been like a long preface to like, okay, Oregon <laughs> fans, it's going to happen again. Uh, <laughs> all right. We've been putting it off long enough. Let's talk about this yeah. offensive line. Um, so uh, I, I believe the starters last year were left to right. Jordan Morgan, Donovan Laya, Josh McCauley at center, uh, Josh Donovan um, uh, at right guard, Peyton Fears at right tackle. I believe that two of those dudes have departed Josh McCauley, uh, the center and uh, Donovan Laya, the left guard. Um, I actually haven't been able to, to lock that one down because there's been no official announcement about it, but he's not listed on the roster and I didn't see him on the spring game. And yeah. yeah. I finally, I finally found it. We, we had talked about this offline. He has re retired from football. So basically okay. he's, yeah, he's gone. All right. Um, I thought, oh, and then uh, Edgar Barola, who at times in the past had been a starter for this offensive line, has also hit the transfer portal. Um, a couple other guys, David Watson and Luke Eckhart, have also hit the transfer portal. Um, uh, uh, but returning those three starters, um, and, uh, well, I guess first question, uh, any reason to believe that those three returning starters, Jordan Morgan, Josh Donovan, Peyton Fears, uh, have to worry about their jobs? Uh, nope, because there's nobody behind him. <laughs> yeah, well, that's sort of what I think, too. Um, I think that Jordan Morgan has definitely um, he, I, he looks like a real left tackle now. Like when he was I believe he was starting as a true freshman in 2019 uh -huh. and um, he was real skinny uh, back yeah. then. Um, like he looked like a tight end. Like I, I was genuinely like, OK, there's the tight end. Where's the tackle? Oh, no, that is the tackle. <laughs> yeah. um, but he's definitely filled out, like filled out a lot. I think he's over 320 now. Um, and like his footwork's pretty good. Like he, he actually looks like a real, you know, a real power five, uh, you know, left tackle now. And it will be good for the quarterback not to automatically get 
get run over from the blind side. Um, I think that's sort of where my praise stops. Uh, like I was not real wild about um, Josh Donovan or Peyton Fears on the right side of the line. Um, I think they've got some work to do to replace, you know, replace the guys on the left side of the line, you know, Laya and, and Macaulay. Um, I watched the spring game, you know, they were playing a lot of guys. They actually were, uh, you know, I think I saw 12 different guys playing um, in the spring game uh, uh, on offensive line. Um, you know, it seemed like they were having a hard time, you know, figuring this out, including several guys who I believe were, were, were true freshmen. Um, I, I, I don't know, man. I, I can't really see what the answer is. If I had to guess about replacing them, I would say probably, Leaf Magnuson and JT Hand would be my best guess. What do you think? So uh, it, I would compare this to a poker hand where, like, you don't have a lot much, like, a lot of money left, and you're like, well, I guess I got to play this. You know, that's kind mm -hmm. of it's like, what, what are you gonna do? Um, so I, I have left to right, Jordan Morgan, Josh Donovan, Josh Baker. I think they're going to start a true freshman at right guard and Jonah uh, Sava India, I think it's mm -hmm. his name, uh, and Peyton Fierce. I think that's legitimately going to be your starting five. Baker and Sava India. That's interesting. I mean, yeah. the thing that's the thing that makes this really tough to predict is past Donovan and Fierce, literally everyone on Arizona's roster is listed as a freshman. Um, the, who either came in in you know because of the weird eligibility holiday that's ah. why but like it's 2020 2021 or 2022 um but like none of these guys have have playing time like uh, and and they're all just desperately young you know it sort of goes without saying that the, you know we're not talking about blue chips either um i they took i do think well i the only the only uh i'd push back on that a little bit and we're jordan morgan there was a reason why he's filled out and was a four star at like 270 pounds. Cause he had the hands, the footwork. Oh so, yeah. I, I meant the beyond those guys. Like, Oh, uh, I, well, I meant, yeah. I, and, I agree with you that Morgan's good. Uh, and, and he'll be fine. It's, you know, the rest of them. And well, the, the freshman Jonah, uh, seven is, hmm. uh, he's apparently quite good. Like the, the coaches feel like they got a, a steal because of COVID like right. Hmm. Hawaii was on lockdown. And like, there's a reason where he's going to start now. Like, so what I'm saying is he's he, my, my reading of this from multiple like places is that he is like a blue chip. Um, well, yeah, I mean, he was, player. he was a high three star. Like mm -hmm. he's, he was the most talented guy uh, in, uh, of the prep recruits. It's just that he's a true freshman oh, and, yeah. and his weight is listed at 337, which is a little like I, from what I saw in the spring game, uh, you know, I, I sort of think he's carrying, carrying a little, I think on any other team or most other teams that that dude's uh, a red shirt him this year and he'll be good as a red shirt freshman. Um, yeah. and that if Arizona like forces him into action early, um, I don't know, you know, it might be, you know, interesting. The, the other thing that I wanted to ask you about is they took a portal transfer, um, addition, uh, Jack Buford, um, uh -huh. who, uh, I think initially signed with Mizzou and then transferred to New Mexico, or maybe I have that backwards. Um, I only saw him really late in the spring game. He was a four star coming out of high school. I was sort of expecting, oh, there's the solution in the fact that he, you know, I, I haven't heard him advertised and he came in the spring game so late sort of made me think, oh, maybe not. What uh, do you have an opinion on Buford or, or, or an idea of what's going on there? Yeah, this I have the same impression where, yeah, he was rated as a four star in high school. You know, so are a lot of people that don't um, end up seeing the field. Sure. Uh, so we'll we'll see. I mean, like, 
it, it is good to have another body, but like I have heard more about JT Hand and Davis Duvall from who's the mm-hmm. Baylor transfer than I have. And, and Joe, uh, I think it's Borjan, uh, who is a, a Juco transfer than I have of Buford. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Well, we'll, we'll keep our eye on it, but it sounds like both of us are, are on the same page here. That's like, you know, this wasn't a great line. They're losing two players off of it. Plus a third guy who was a sort of starter in Barola. Um, and they're probably going to be plugging in freshmen or, um, or, you know, otherwise, you know, pretty young and inexperienced guys and, you know, combination of, of inexperience and not great returners with the exception of Morgan um, sort of makes me think like, we're going to see more of the same um, from the offensive line performance. And, the, and, and it, that probably informed your opinion about why you thought that, you know, the running backs were not going to be lighting it up this year. Uh, do, do I have that right? Yeah. And one more thing to add and likely players out of position at tackle. If, if we have an injury, like it's, yeah. it's a problem. Like there's no, I literally on my, my depth chart, I have yikes as the player too. Like it's the <laughs> left and right tackle. So that's we've we've been seeing uh, the yikes family quite a bit through these rosters in the pack. <laughs> All right, let's switch over and talk about the defense. Uh, let's start with the defensive line. Um, the, uh, Again, a, a lot of departures here um, from fairly productive players. Uh, uh, Trayvon Mason uh, has moved on. Uh, Muhammad Diallo, uh, Leval Tatum, who um, came over from Fresno, actually wound up watching that guy's 2020 season um, and was like, because Oregon played Fresno as their opener, I was like, ooh, Arizona's getting a good one out of him. Um, and I think that uh, held up. A um, couple of guys who uh, I was sort of expecting to see, but didn't uh, have left the program as well. Uh, Regan Terry, Miles Teposoa, um, Alex Navarro Silva, Aaron Blackwell. Um, not really sure what the story is with those guys, but um, they're gone now. So uh, kind of limited salience. Um, I, I, let me stop there. If I got that right, is that all the departures? That's my understanding. I, I don't like, or, if there's anybody else that's departed, it, it's not anybody that was popping out in the yeah. two depth. Um, but uh, returning quite a bit on the defensive line, um, the uh, actually, before we go any further, I guess we should try to figure out what the system is going to be. Unlike the offensive side of the ball um, that had, you know, no coaching changes. There's, uh, you know, pr- quite a few um, defensive coaching changes. Uh, most notably, Don Brown um, has left to be the, the coach at UMass. Uh, um, and I think he's taken the linebackers coach, Keith uh, Dzinski, with him. Um, they are replacing him with Johnny Nansen, who has been like a, a linebacker coach around the Pac-12 for a long time, but like has not been a DC, I think, for like 20 years. Uh, and even that was in the high school level. I am not certain what kind of defense Johnny Nansen wants to run. I think I was sort of seeing a three, three, five in the spring game, but I don't know. Do you have any, uh, what's the skinny on the defensive scheme? Yeah, I've been trying to figure that out also. Uh, the, I guess I could mention it this way because I, I was listening to a couple of podcasts just from some of the Arizona beat guys on this. It seems like here's the way they framed it. And right. This is with some, some pretty starry eyed uh, views of it where uh, all right, Don Brown ran a very aggressive defense with players that weren't very good at uh, operating and protecting against an aggressive defense, which is why you saw a lot of explosive plays. I think that was fair. Yep. That's my characterization as well. Nance comes in and he wants to do a lot more zone um, rather than man to man, which makes sense. Now, like Arizona's, we'll get to the corners. They're, they're actually okay. Um, but like, it's kind of some other places where it, it was a problem where you had like some linebackers covering or, you know, like, or your nickel, who's like a walk-on covering, you know, one-on-one player 
kind of a disaster. So whatever scheme they work with, my understanding is Eccles is going to be like that hybrid rusher where maybe he's standing and maybe he has his hands, but he's basically going to be rushing the quarterback um, and a lot more zone concept rather than like, you know, trying to trust your corners to be on an Island. That's about as far as I can get. Like when I did my, uh, my two deep, I still did like kind of the, you have your two tackles, you have a defensive end, you have a hybrid guy. And then kind of just, I, I left actually the second, outside linebacker kind of open because I just kind of wanted to figure out what type of system we were we were using so I'm, I'm yeah. still a little up in the air on that that I, I I'm sort of in the same place that's what I've been penciling in as well that I'm expecting three down linemen and OLB um, who I do expect to be Eccles uh, the transfer from USC um, who I think was like severely misused at USC and may have a like a, a renaissance of his, his career if they just trust him to be the guy um, at Arizona. Um, but, you know, anyway, I, I wanted to know the structure. I'm still not entirely sure about it because like, you know, they're returning a decent amount of production here. They're returning Jalen Harris um, as well as his brother, Jason Harris, although Jason didn't uh, have a whole ton of production after transferring from Colorado. Um, Kyron Bars, uh, who's been around for a little while now uh paris shand um uh and you know and then a bunch of other guys who have got a couple of tackles you know like Dion wilson j uh, jb brown um sumao senatoa uh sulunga um i think that's it you know a couple other guys uh who were freshmen last year and didn't play um you know there's uh we're not talking about the biggest guys in the world i don't think anybody tips the scales at more than 300 here but like you know we're talking about you know two, 270s 280s 290s you know so it's sort of like appropriate for a three down uh scheme um uh you know with with a fort guy hanging off the edge for an even surface um i i don't even though like i said they, they were losing mason and diallo and tatum i'm not really worried about the defensive line here like losing um pro, like going i don't think the defensive line is going to go backwards here i guess I'll, I'll stop there what do you think about that opinion yeah, I, I agree. I think that the, and we talked about this last year, right? We said, hey, actually this defensive line isn't going to be bad. And and they yeah. were, they were fine. Uh, with Even with departures, you still have J.B. Brown, who has, uh, who the, the look, both coaching staffs has always been really high on him and he's been fine. So I've kind of set my expectations to he's fine rather than he's going to be, you know, this breakthrough player, but still having him at the defensive end, uh, at least on one of the sides is good. You have Harris, um, both brothers back. Hunter Eccles, from everything I've read, has, to your point, Hithliday, the reports on him are like, wow, he's actually really good. And we're really excited to have him like starting and rushing the quarterback. And he's going to be an improvement over what we saw last year. And then up in the middle, like Bars is somebody I think, Hithliday, that you've liked for a couple of years. He's not going to blow you away with his athleticism, but he's pretty good. Um, you have Shan and then you have Savea, the transfer from... UCLA, I think that's an interesting player to cover because a lot of people thought he was going to come in and just immediately take one of the tackle positions and he hasn't. So I don't know if that's mm -hmm. a testament to the development of Shannon Bars or a testament to Savea not being necessarily where Arizona thought he was going to be, but he was a blue chip player. So yeah, I, I, I when think. When did Savea come in? Uh, that was, it was earlier in, in the um, cycle when Nance became the defensive coordinator. I think that was one of the players that followed him. Okay. Yeah. I've been curious about him too. I, I was not under the impression he was eligible to play until 
until 2022 um that's how i had it chalked up but like i don't know um it would not be a surprise if ucla recruited a blue chip who went nowhere though um (laughs) so i guess we'll just have to like keep our eye on that one um uh but you know yeah on paper uh you know savea is or maybe he had some health problem that they kept under wraps i'm not sure um but like yeah on paper you know blue chip uh coming in from from ucla uh, you know, they recruited two other ones, the other Isaiah Johnson uh, and Jermaine Wiggins, you know, who are three stars and sort of fit in with the rest of this crew. Um, you know, there it was interesting watching Don Brown's defense because it, it even though I don't you know, as you said, I don't really think they had the talent to really do this hyper aggressive stuff that he wanted to um, and that, you know, sort of their undoing. I also felt like. I was always worried about Don Brown's defense more than anybody else's against Joe Moorhead's offense because Joe Moorhead is such a counter puncher. Like he waits for you to declare what your rules are. And then he uses that to judo flip you. And like Don Brown's whole deal was that there are no rules. Like it might as well be <laughs> like, I'm not kidding. Like, like half of his snaps, he was operating out of a three, four and half of them. He was operating out of a four, three. Like that's why it was so interesting. Like what the defensive line was looking at. And then when I see Johnny Nansen, um, you know, looked like in the spring game, you know, pretty consistently, you know, three, three, five is sort of like, okay, I'm not going to fool around like Don Brown was, you know, with that, uh, you know, going back and forth, like, you know, I'm going to have like one system and these are how these guys are going to fit into it. And you are a full-time, um, you know, edge rusher, Mr. Eccles. And, and, you know, you're going to be, you know, right in the middle, Mr. Bars, cause you're the heaviest guy that we've got. Um, and, you know, like I, I, like, I don't think these are the most talented dudes in the world. Um, but uh, I do think that like, you know, having a, a single scheme with this much returning production, you know, guys who are relatively experienced, you know, bars has been around for three years. Harris, Jalen Harris has been around. I think this will be his fifth year. Um, I think so, yeah. uh, you know, uh, you know, JB Brown, you're right. I think this is also going to be his fifth year. I'm not sure why his production wasn't higher, um, last year. Um, but but at any rate like there's also a good division between the bigger bot you know like they've got bars wilson salunga all of whom are you know over uh 280 and then they've got guys who are built more like ends um you know in the 270 260 range um we'll see how Savea goes i i sort of don't think we'll see the true freshman i think they've got enough returning experience that that johnson and wiggins we're not going to see play but otherwise you know even even with the departures that i noted i think this defensive line will continue to be fine will it be the best defensive line i've ever seen no um but like i don't think this is going to be the bottleneck for um arizona's defensive production uh i'll stop there what do you think about that i think if we were playing ncaa football they would come in at a b minus um or maybe a c plus like yeah i think that's about i think b minus is likely the ceiling for them but you know everything's relative so for the first time i think in a decade hippoday i have looked at three offensive lines in a row and been like oh this looks like or i'm sorry three different defensive lines and back to back to back years and been like oh this looks like a defensive line (laughs) this is what it's supposed to look like doesn't necessarily mean the talent is excellent but yeah i think the i think the base is there this this is not a defensive line that's going to fall off a cliff i think they're going to be fairly set uh, well, I remember like as a point of comparison, I remember um, a couple of years ago when Mel Tucker, Tucker came in at Colorado and took over for um, Mike McIntyre and 
Mel Tucker, like metaphorically, you could see him grabbing his hair and screaming. Um, not that the guy has any hair, but like because the defensive line was just it was it was stick figures, you know, like, and he immediately just took like, do you weigh more than 280 pounds and yeah. live West yeah. of the Mississippi come to Colorado? Uh, <laughs> like he, you know, and it, it kind of didn't pay off for a year or two, but like, I actually think Colorado is a pretty decent defensive line as a result of that. We yeah. just need more beef situation. And when I look at Arizona, you know, I don't see Colorado in 2018. You know, I don't see the like grab your hair and scream defensive line situation. I see a fine defensive line situation. If 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 excuse me, Arizona is going to have a problem on the defense, I don't think you know the defensive line is going to be um, where it happens. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. Uh, Hunter Eccles gives a little bit more uh, burst on the outside. I think the inside's going to take a little bit of a step back, but not a giant step back with some of the departing players. That's about yeah. where it's at. Yeah, let's talk about the linebackers because, yeah, I think <laughs> this is now where you're starting to, to encounter maybe some um, some bottleneck. Uh, a lot of departure here, like to the extent where I actually think the departures are a problem. Um, yeah. The losing Anthony Pandy and uh, Kenny Hebert, um, Treshawn Hayward. Um, uh, Rashi Hodge, uh, um, uh, Rourke Freeberg, a couple other guys too, who I don't think produced, but like they were depth guys. And I think it informs why they took just an enormous number of dudes. Um, you know, I think they took four different uh, linebackers out of the portal, one of whom is Hunter Eccles, you know, gets classified as an OLB, but like um anthony solomon from michigan jeremy mercier from um utah uh, uh even anthony ward from washington who is a walk-on and let me tell you you know it, uh, uh, if you can't break into the rotation at the university of washington <laughs> inside linebacker yeah. and yeah. then you become a starter like are playing in the spring game uh for arizona i'm like uh oh man um yeah. <laughs> and then they took i believe uh six freshmen um in the 2022 class who are all categorized as as linebackers i wouldn't name all of them but there are a couple you know sterling lane was a technically a, a you know just over the line is a, a four star uh, tyler martin and it was a high three star like i you know when i look at the when i look at all the departures when i look at the mad scramble to add like 10 dudes to the linebacker core and when i look at the guys who are returning i, I think the headliner is jerry roberts who you know, was the Bowling Green two star. Yeah. Um, I, I'm sort of like, I think this is going to be almost exclusively transfers and maybe some freshmen at this inside line backer position. And I think it could be trouble. That's uh, that's my take. What do you think about that take? Yeah, it's been trouble the last three years. It's yeah. been the safeties and linebackers over and over and over again. Um, and it's the same story this year. I think, uh, I think you're absolutely right. J Roberts is going to start at inside linebacker. Like that's, I mean, I, I don't want to speak in definitives, but like I'm fairly certain that's going to be the sure. case. Anthony Solomon, the transfer from Michigan, who is a, a previous blue chip will likely be uh, on the outside. And, and like those guys aren't really all that proven. And then, and that's kind of like the best we have right now. Right. I mean, we do have Malik Reed who was uh, recruited by he Wisconsin. From Wisconsin, right? Yeah. 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 So I think he'll see the fields. Um, yeah, and then you have a lot of freshmen and players that are unproven. Like this, this is going to be a major weakness for Arizona again. And and we saw what happened in the last couple of years. It's just like cannot stop the you know a lot of run stuff. We could not like you, you can see them break through. Um, you had a lot of like tight ends are just going to be a disaster covering the tight ends. You know Arizona this year. Uh, yeah, I mean it, it's going to be the the same same story we saw last year, but probably less talented unless some of these players really emerge in spring and fall camp as as being players that are just really going to make a statement yeah I, I it'll be worth keeping an eye on but um 
yeah, I, that, that's that's pretty much how I see it. Is there well, it, when you have this much untested, it's always a possibility that when you don't know anything about a guy, that he can surprise you. But it's yeah. you know more likely that it's just going to be oh these guys are untested for a reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like I, I sort of you know I think that's where the you know the real weakness in the structure is. Um, well, let's talk about the secondary. Uh, you mentioned earlier that you thought the cornerbacks will be fine. I, I think I agree. Um, it's interesting because they, I think the guys that I have tabbed as a cornerback, uh, I had six of them last year of whom three departed. So it's like, uh, you know, initially I'm sort of like, uh-oh. But on the other hand, you know, when I look at those three dudes who hit the transfer portal, I believe they were Mackenzie Barnes, Malik Hausman, Jaquelin Morgan. Um, I don't think any of them played at all. Um and, and the three guys who return, Christian Roland Wallace, who actually is a pretty decent cornerback, um, and uh, Traden Stukes, who I think was a walk-on. Um, yeah. And and, uh, and like if you're getting beat out um, as a scholarship player by a walk-on, like, yeah, it's probably time to hit the portal. Um, and then Isaiah Rutherford, the um, the transfer from Notre Dame. Those are the guys who were playing. All three guys of those, you know, return. Um you know, I, I don't think this cornerback unit is half bad at all. Uh, you know, I I think they'll be fine at, at cornerback positions. Is that your your stance too? Yeah, uh, probably B minus with them too. Roland Wallace is is legitimately pretty good. Um, Stukes, like you mentioned, was a walk on who, as I understood it, took the job from Isaiah Rutherford, who's like a four star former uh, transfer from Notre Dame. So mm-hmm. Rutherford, I have as as actually the twos, like or unless yeah. you're playing a spread offense. Uh, and nickel, I have DJ Warnell and then Gunnar Maldonado pushing him for that spot. I mean, it's fine. Like the, the, the core, there are Warnell's there the teams. transfer from UCLA, right? That, yeah, I believe so. I think that's correct. Um, and when you take a look at the, the list here, there have been multiple teams at Arizona where I'm like, oh no, when you look at the corners and, and I don't have that feeling here. I, I don't think it's a, it's, it's going to be a particularly strong unit compared to some of the other teams in the pac 12, but uh, I, I think they'll, I think they'll be okay. Um, and then brought in three freshmen uh, in the class too, who I, there's a chance they see some playing yeah. time. If he's in surprise socks is a four, was, was a four star um, probably the headliner of the class in terms of the secondary. Um, I think there's, you know, if I had to pencil in a, a two deep, I would probably put price in along with Rutherford as the, as one of the two um, second string players. Um, and then brought in uh, Davis and Celestine as well, um, who are both like mid three stars. I, I, I expect those guys will red shirt. Um, you know, it, it, there might be a problem if there's an injury or two here, but like, I, I think they're fine. Like again, well, I sort of have the same take as you. Like, I don't think this is going to be the greatest unit in the Pac-12, but if there's a problem, I don't think it's necessarily going to be with the cornerbacks um, in terms of like, you know, that they're going to get beat, you know, all cornerbacks do, even the best, you know, cornerbacks do. And so, you know, if anybody wants to hang me with those words by showing a Twitter clip of one of these cornerbacks getting beat on a deep pass, it's like, yeah, that's going to happen. But I mean, like structurally, I mean, like systemically where the opposing offense identifies where you were very weak and just relentlessly attacks it. I don't think that is going to be true of the cornerbacks. Um, It sounds like that's your take too. Yeah, and I think they're not going to be asked to do as much. I mean, like, I mean, you obviously have to do a lot when you're. You on mean defense because there. Don Brown's not going to be calling a blitz on every single play, yeah, enforcing exactly. them into single yeah. man coverage. You know, yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. It's like that spring ball talk where where Nance is like, we're we're not gonna we're not gonna um, 
we're gonna gonna be Don Brown, but we're gonna be extremely aggressive on defense. Like who? What? You name me a defensive coordinator that's that hasn't said that in the beginning. But I do, I do think that you're gonna see fewer. Yeah, right. yeah we're gonna yeah, play fast. Is another yeah. thing. Yeah. We're gonna. Yeah. Nobody nobody says we're gonna be less aggressive. Um, because like that sounds really bad. But I, I'm here to tell you, like it is frequently the solution to your defensive problems to get yeah. back aggressive. Yeah. Like I frequently in my write ups of Pac-12 teams that Oregon's or Oregon is about to play will frequently write up the biggest problem with this defense is that it's overly aggressive um yes and uh and, and yeah like you know yeah i sort of think that's a more appropriate fit for the talent um now let's talk about the safeties um first of all this is going to be hard to recite because there's so many repeating names uh there's christian young and Jaden young uh there's isaiah mays and isaiah taylor um there's a uh, uh uh dalton johnson uh one of the, like seven johnsons on this team uh gunner maldonado uh, i had picked out as a nickel as well um uh it's a lot of returning production here i think it makes sense why they only took you know one new guy in dg warnell um three departures ready short javon uh Carr and logan kraut i don't think they played that much last year i don't really think that those are any big losses but returning you know four guys who are getting pretty regular rotation in christian young jackson turner Jaden young and gunner maldonado um i in terms of depth and like surviving injuries i don't think there's a problem here do, do you agree uh there's not a problem there except that this has been a like institutional weakness for arizona yeah. for probably the last five years yeah like <laughs> that, that's where i was going with this too number of bodies acceptable quality yeah. of yeah, play <laughs> mm, I, I think you know if i were identifying another you know you said it it's been a running problem with arizona inside linebacker and the safety you know the, the defense right in the middle and the depth of the field like yeah it's a problem like i you know it's this classic problem when you're you know previewing a team that's returning a lot of production it's like on the one hand and they're returning a lot of production on the other hand that production kind of stunk like on the there's free toppings but the toppings contain potassium benzoate like it's uh <laughs> you know like that that's you know i i just wasn't you know real wild about these guys and and, and other than the sort of incremental improvement that you always expect out of returning players you know like another example there's there's another we were talking about tra trading stukes a walk-on who beat out a bunch of scholarship guys who then hit the portal that happened again in the safety court Jaden young you know was a walk-on in the 2020 class who who put three dudes in the portal um you know he's the third leading tackler you know out of the out of the secondary um I just, you know, I'm just not real wild about the talent here. I guess I'll put it that way. And I don't have real high expectations that it's going to improve. What, what do you think? I agree. I think that when you put both of these pieces together, right, the offense and the defense, the offense should be able to move the ball better. The defense is still going to give up a lot of points. And I mean, that's the difference between Arizona making a bowl and Arizona not making a bowl. I don't think they have the talent to make a bowl this coming year, uh, even though you have a lot of interesting pieces on the offense. And I think it's because it'd be just right up that middle, man. It's, it's, I think when you take a look at Rob's numbers at the end of the year, you're going to see a very inefficient defense where, um, where teams are just going to be able to get those nine, 10, 11 yard chunks up the middle. And there's nothing Arizona is going to be able to do to stop it. Yeah, it's kind of unfortunate. Like, this is a team where I, you know, like I said earlier, like on paper, like this is a team that given what they what departs and what returns and what additions they've made i think it constitutes a, a, a fairly substantial net upgrade but there's still enough weaknesses um at the offensive line at the linebackers at the safeties and just sort of their 
there's still not a top end of the talent pool, you know, in the Pac-12, you know, situation where it's like, I think there's an outside shot if everything really aligns of getting to like six games, maybe, but I still think probably not. And that like, you know, get, get, I, I feel like getting to four wins, you know, after a one win first year would, I'd still count that as a victory for Jedfish. What, what do you think? I would say four is probably the ceiling uh, mm. just because of the schedule, right? So the, their non-conference is nasty. They oh, at, yeah. at, at the Pac-12 runner-up champions, the San Diego State Aztecs, um, you have <laughs> <laughs> you have Mississippi State at home with like an actual defense. Mm-hmm. Um, and you then thought you could has, escape Mike Leach, but no. I know. No, no. <laughs> I, yeah, the Pirates back, baby. Let's go. Uh, but but like then they have to play North Dakota State for some ungodly reason. Like who want like. <laughs> I, I detest Greg Burns, who's now the, the uh, athletic director at, at Alabama. And here's another reason why. Like, yeah, let's bring in a perennial FCS team that, like, actually wins games to Tucson to get embarrassed um, or to embarrass Arizona. Yeah, they have at Cal. That's a winnable game. They have Colorado. But, I mean, then it's just a run of, like, you, you got the Ducks. We have to go to Seattle. We have – USC, which will be better. We have to go to Utah. We have to go to UCLA. Um, and then you have a Washington state team. That's interesting. Uh, before you play Arizona state, like I just don't see six wins. I see four, like, yeah. man, if they, if they got to and, five, that'd be an awesome season for Arizona, yeah. but I think it's going to be three to four. And the, the two teams that they miss out of the North are, are Stanford and Oregon state. You know, I, I kind of like the beeves, um, but like, you know, Stanford probably would have been a win that I would have penciled in if Arizona had them. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, kind of an unfortunate draw. I don't know. We'll see how the Huskies wind up doing. And, you know, I, I think both the Huskies and the Trojans are going to be real wild cards this year because because they have both of those teams with the talent that they have should not have been four and eight teams, but like how much better than four and eight they'll do with their new coaching staffs is like, you know, big question mark. Um, I I don't know, man, like there's versions of these teams that I think, like, I think there is a version of Arizona at its very best. And there is a version of teams like, let's say, Arizona State, who's sort of pantsed Arizona the last couple of years where like the wheels might be coming off, you know, totally with the Sun Devils. And so, you know, maybe this is a shot for a revenge game. But like. You, you know, you got to believe that the stars are aligning for Arizona and you got to believe that the stars are whatever the opposite of aligning is, you know, for the other team, you know, to put together some of those wins. Um, it's just, yeah, it's a, it's a tough schedule and, um, and he's got to figure it out fast. Like, uh, uh, um, you know, that, that's a brutal non-con. Um, speaking I do, I do of, think, oh, well, I was going to say, like, continue, continue. Oh yeah, I do think they're gonna pop up and get somebody. So I, I like so I have. I oh yeah, it's definitely work. gonna be the Ducks. Or what are you kidding? Like hundred <laughs> percent gonna be the Ducks. Only lost the season, yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I think that they there is a chance where they get to five because they pop up and they they punch somebody. But but it's it's also possible that they lose that North Dakota State game and now we're back at at four. So I mean like yeah yeah so three three to four is about where I'd have them. I do think from a a gambling perspective. I do think this is a team where in the beginning you might be, or maybe even the middle of the season, you might be able to bet on just to cover the spread and they'll keep it competitive. But um, I, I wouldn't do, I wouldn't have him go into a bowl for sure. You know, we weren't going to have Brian on. He wasn't going to mention some sleazy bets that you could take. It's going <laughs> to you know happen. <laughs> what do you think the, um, what do you think the patience level is with fish? Like if, 
disaster strikes and this is a one win team again with this roster do you think the administration starts getting impatient with him oh one one i do think there's that would turn up the heat a bit um i just think he's recruited so well and you could see the direction he's going with the program like one of the biggest knocks there was a lot of knocks about kevin Sumlin, but it was like you know he came in and then it was just like he's like build the a and then just there was no direction, no focus, no, Hey, we're going to do this. Hey, here's my vision. At least, at least fish has come in and he's like, look, we're going to, we're going to focus on recruiting. We're going to improve that. And then he went out and did it. And, um, and we're going to be able to move the ball. I think, I, I think if they went one and 11 again, um, I still think that even if they did that, you would see the offense improve, you know, by leaps and bounds over last year, just because of the quarterback change and some mm. of the skill positions. So I, I think that'll buy him some more time, but I, I don't, I don't think like, right. I mean, we have, we have Colorado at home. Like that Colorado team is garbage. Like Cal is, is garbage. Um, and so is Arizona. Like, I'm not saying that we aren't, but like, you know, Arizona state, I think is, is a big mess this year. I think there's some teams where it's just like, if you flip that coin enough, it's gonna it's gonna pop your way at least one or two times if you have about five five tries. So. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> honestly, it's, it's got to help that Tommy Lloyd is there to distract too. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, this, uh, yeah, yeah, take the pressure. Well, I, the reason that I ask is not because I think winning one game is is what's gonna happen. The reason I ask is because a lot of a lot of the time when a coach is coming off of, you know, such a poor record, you know, last year, they feel pressure to win right away in year two and that that kind of pressure can translate uh, into yeah. some short-sighted thinking and some bad decision-making. And whereas on the other hand, if that coach has felt like he's built up some goodwill and has a little bit longer leash, he can, you know, he can do things in a little more sustainable way. And it sort of sounds like what you're saying is the, the latter is probably more true. Yeah. Yeah. If, if he can move the ball down the field, I think, I think he'll be fine uh, this year. And um, I think he has a little bit more leeway. I mean, it was just such a disaster. I think most Arizona, I think certainly Arizona fans and likely the administration understands that, oh my gosh, like, okay, I get it. We have to, we have to really go through this slog. So yeah, I, I think, I think he'll well, be thinking two years ahead rather than this year. I, the thing that was just remarkable to me about the Rich Rod to Sumlin to Jed Fish, you know, those transitions is that okay, Rich Rod wanted to win in a certain way and, you know, was running like the greatest walk-on program in the, the country and just didn't recruit. <laughs> and it was just like, and that sort of left a hole that then I, I understood the logic of hiring Kevin Sumlin, um, you know, and, and yeah. a guy where it's like, you know, not that long ago, uh, Arizona was, you know, won the Pac-12 South and went to a BCS Bowl, um, you know, and then someone's going to come in and he's, you know, recruits like a madman and he's going to, you know, up the talent profile because that was the biggest problem at Arizona. And then it just absolutely did not happen. Like that dude, I don't know if he just retired at his desk or what, but like, yeah, you know, it, just, it absolutely <laughs> didn't happen. And so in an even worse position that Jed Fish inherits, right? Like Jed Fish inherited a worse situation from Kevin Sumlin than Kevin Sumlin inherited from Richrod wouldn't you say 
Yeah, I remember like I was looking at our last uh, uh, podcast and I, I mentioned we're not Kansas. Well, mm -hmm. well, we aren't, but we are worse than Kansas, like in terms of where we are this past year, the last couple of years, like at least Kansas, right? You have Leopold, they 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 stuck it to uh, Oklahoma State with the, the flex wing or whatever. Like they, they did some interesting stuff. I think Arizona is also doing some interesting stuff, but like that was where the program was. It was basically Kansas of the West Coast. And, uh, you know, like- So, really, so yeah. Jetfish comes in and even though he's dealt a worse hand, hand than Kevin Sumlin, an ostensibly way better recruiter. Uh, Jed Fish, you know, has no ties, you know, at all to, to the Arizona program or, or at all. You know, he doesn't pull the like, oh, I'm going to need a couple of years to like prove myself to to prove that I can get four stars, you know, in, into the program. He just immediately just starts doing it, you know, based on nothing. Like, what does he have to sell at Arizona? You know, water guns, I guess. Like, you know, he just immediately did it. And it sort of like makes me take notice to a bunch of other programs around the Pac-12, like, I don't know, our neighbors to the north, who's like Kalen DeBoer, who I actually think is a pretty decent coach. I had to do a bunch of film study on that guy. Um, like where they're and just UCLA. like, <laughs> uh, yeah, you see like, like, like Chip Kelly and Kalen DeBoer have way better cases to make to recruits yeah. to be getting dudes right away. And they haven't done it. Meanwhile, our good friend, Jed Fish at Arizona has nothing to sell. You know, he's trying to sell snow to the Inuits uh, and and he's doing it like and it sort of makes, you know, it sort of it retroactively makes almost every other coach in the Pac-12 look worse. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, like, yeah. And that's sort of and that's, you know, to, to go back to why I initially asked this question, I would. I'd, I'd believe it if you told me that that guy feels like he has a very long leash from the administration. The administration must be doing cartwheels about how well he's recruiting, given the hand that he was dealt. Um, they might want to lock him in for a long contract. Yeah. And, and one last thing to, to leave you with, when you, when you take a look at uh, the importance of an athletic director, right? Like the, the Arizona, and I mentioned Jason Shear and Shear. I think there, I've, I've many thoughts on, on like how they approach football and, and sometimes basketball. Um, there was a lot of pushback from that website and from fans on, we need like, Oh, you know, he's making his own hire and he only wants to do this. And like, uh, um, and Greg Kiki, the athletic director at Arizona has now hired Jetfish, who's just going bonkers on the recruiting front and actually has built some excitement around the program. And Tommy Lloyd, who freaking yeah. is better than Sean Miller in his first year and is starting to recruit like a bad man also. So I mean, like it just, it, it's a good reminder that leadership matters and part of leadership is sometimes tuning out the loud voices and just making the right decisions. And I think, you know, we'll see, this could all collapse uh, like a house of cards soon, but um <laughs> It seems like, at least for now, there's a little bit of hope for the Arizona football program and, of course, for the basketball program also. Brian, as always, you've been a great guest. Uh, you just reminded me, we got to get you on the show more often because it's freaking fantastic. Uh, at 12 Pack Radio is where you absolutely have to go on Twitter, and then you got to subscribe to this show, 12 Pack Radio. Uh, Y'all do a great job over there. Uh, I've listened to it for years now, um, and I'm so glad that you're on the show. Uh, it, it, you excited? What are you doing in the off season? What, what's your plan here? Yeah, we're cranking through uh, spring now. So uh, actually, Rob and I are recording tonight. We're going to do, I think, Arizona and Washington. So like the same breakdowns that we have for Arizona, we also follow you know all the other programs of the Pac-12. The two things to keep a lookout for, the first is the episode that I always like to do is the episode where we look at possible trap games. 
right? Mm. So like a Friday night in Tucson or, or in, um, in Corvallis, like those types of games where a team's coming off a bye, they have seven games in a row where like somebody's got to be injured throughout, you know, like th- those types of games. So we're doing that. Um, and then we're just prepping. We have our season win totals are going to come out sooner than later. And um, we're just cranking through and making sure that we're prepared to place those sleazy bets right when they come out. So pretty excited about that. Hell yeah. I love it. Once again, 12 pack radio. Yeah. You, you just got to get over there. It's a wonderful listen. Uh, Hithliday, thanks again for coming on here, really diving into this roster. Uh, there is excitement for this one and 11 team. I got to say, I, I'm ready to watch Arizona take it to Washington. Seattle. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. And, uh, at Hithliday one h-y-t-h-l-o-d-a-y the number one is where you can find our film reviewer here uh and we'll be back next week listeners go ducks have a good day